welcome to some, a special guest here. Um, we, we've got uh, Doug Wibben from, from Benchmark. Doug, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, it, it should be said, I mean, Doug, you've been uh, with us really from the just about the beginning in terms of our odyssey of building this thing. And the, anytime if, if folks see the oxide rack and anytime you think of just the gorgeous mechanicals in this rack, it is Doug and his team t to, to thank for that. They really Doug, you did such a terrific job at, I mean, just so many junctures. Um, it was, and I know we must've been just a little bit bonkers to work with, but really, really appreciate all you've done for us. One thing I was trying to remember is when we were initially talking with you, had we already figured out that we wanted to blind meet the networking or was that after we had started speaking with you? That was the first six, three, uh, sorry, three months or so, uh, a feasibility study to prove that uh, it was possible. Uh, and then right. from there, it was the plan of record moving forward. Right. So, okay. So we had already, we were all, but we were already wondering if that was possible by the time we, Yes. Because I think that, and that would have been right when we first started talking with you that we, because the story here is kind of interesting that we, and Adam, I can't remember if you were on any of those, those early calls or not, but we were very much assuming that we were going to have, in terms of the networking of the rack, that we were going to have a traditional architecture of power and fans in the rear and having networking out the front. And when we were talking to that, we were kind of surveying the industry and talking to various folks, making various connectors and so on. Um, we were talking to one company in particular and they were, they understood what we wanted to go do. And they were you know, out of curiosity. Why are you not blind meeting the networking? Like, why are you doing this whole thing of the cabling out the front? And there was kind of this moment of like, I do the hyperscalers. Blind made the networking thing. No, no, they don't blind made the networking, but that's because they're afraid to blind made the networking, which of course is just like catnip to us. It's like, <laughs> oh, 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 okay, wait a minute. Uh, that's exciting. So when we just were immediately asking the follow-up questions of like, is it possible to blind made the networking? Because and by blind mating, we should explain what we mean by that. Yeah. So th this is having the, uh, the networking connection where you can't see it effectively in the, the back of the cubby such that when you slide the sled in, it magically mates with the networking. There is, there would be no user visible cabling in this kind of system, which we found really intriguing if it was possible. So uh, we kind of had a, and I think it was at, at some time at this point that that kind of Arian had an initial sketch of based on maybe this is is feasible. Um, Arian put together an initial sketch, and I'm going to drop this photo album, Adam, into the chat if you haven't already. So I have not. Got, I have not. Okay, there we are. Um, so the uh, and, and it's and someone in the chat asks, "Are you aware of the Open19 networking?" And yeah, we were aware of Open19, and the Open19 uses this really interesting big connector in the back. And when we talked to people who talked about Open19, this was like the thing that was that was most interesting to them about open 19, 19, by the way, not for 2019, but for 19 inch rack. So we, we were aware of that and we, uh, and, and that was, that was interesting to us. So this idea of, um, the, and th there's Arian's early sketch that, that, um, Adam dropped in and, uh, boy, if we could actually put together the, the, the rack and, and blind mate networking, that was terrific, but is it feasible? And Doug, this is kind of where, where, 
your team came in and uh, I mean, you, you began to inform us that, you know, this is definitely feasible, but here are some of the things that we need to look after when we are designing this thing. So what, what were some of the, the kind of the problems that you had in mind as we were beginning to design this? Uh, sure. So <clears throat> initially uh, coming up with a concept that would allow the gimlet to dock into the rack in a manner such that it would align mechanically in X, Y, and Z with the cabled backplane um, pending our uh, vendor selection, uh, that was a, a difficult task. Um, the oxide rack is primarily sheet metal parts, and sheet metal fabrication is one of the less exact um, hmm. fabrication processes for mechanical items. So in, in figuring out how to make that work, we had to go through a lot of mechanical tolerance analyses uh, to determine how best to approach that. You know, it's occurring to me that I'm I'm going to be getting fears that you had that I never had. <laughs> that I, I'm actually realizing that I'm going to come away with this conversation with a whole new set of both appreciation for what what you all have done and uh, and newfound fears. So that so you were concerned about in particular sheet metal imprecision in terms of getting this thing to to line up properly. Correct. So you know, between the latching system on the front of the gimlet, which had yet to be designed at the beginning, uh, and the uh, cassette or cartridge at the back of the um, cubby, there are something like 15 or 20 uh, mechanical dimensions contributors to the overall tolerance stack, which have to have to be combined and accounted for um, to make sure we're making the appropriate connection uh, at the rear, physical connection uh, at the rear. Doug, Doug has said Gimlet a couple times just for folks who have not listened to the show as uh, in a detailed fashion over the years. Gimlet is the code name for our server that sits in these cubbies that Brian was alluding to. So uh, when, when you hear Gimlet, that's that's the server that slides in. That's right. And I, so the concern that I, I know, and Doug, we, I remember we talked about this early on as well, um, having, having been with backplane systems in various parts of my career, one concern you always have is around bent pins. And then the and then, and then, of course, the, the the very worst case of that, the bent pin virus, where you have a something with bent pins that is bending whatever you plug it into. And if you start uh, start moving that around, you can actually start bending a whole bunch of pins. And Doug, I, your team did a terrific job in terms of of engineering how, how to prevent someone from bending the pins. Do you want to describe how you pulled that off? Sure. So it started with uh, you know connector selection. We we assessed a, a number of uh, different suppliers and looked at the physical makeup of the connector uh, and tried to kind of judge um, what we felt the the capacity for bent pins would be on on any given design. So we moved forward with the design, the connector design, which we thought had the lowest potential for bent pins and kind of moved forward from there into integrating it into the mechanical design. So we use probably more rigid steel mechanical guide pins than we need in aligning the connectors. But um, again, given the the concern and, and the challenge of correcting, um, finding and correcting bent pins, uh, we wanted to kind of, if we were going to over-design any part of this mechanical design, that would be the one to over-design. So um, yeah, just... Uh, I don't know how deep we want to go from the start. Yeah, well, 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 actually, well, I, I mean, a couple things are interesting there. One, actually, I love your, I, God, I mean, we so emphatically agree that 
you know, if you're going to have a system, uh, an aspect of the system that you over-engineer, I mean, you got to figure you're going to over-engineer, under-engineer everything, right? And maybe you're going to perfectly engineer some things, but basically you're going to um, solve for problems that you may, maybe will never have. Uh, and then, of course, we don't want to, but but not solve for problems we do have. And in terms of over, when you describe, I mean, because we this has been a very thoroughly solved problem, and boy, is this a good place to thoroughly solve a problem because the consequences of this are pretty high. If you, it's a pretty expensive because the connectors are expensive, obviously the sleds are expensive, and the steel pins are relatively cheap. I, I in terms of what this actually added to the bomb cost and so on. Correct. The steel blades are a dollar or two. So yeah, in terms of overall bomb costs, it's minimal. And you can, I mean, you know, we, we uh, always joked back in the day, we called Adam, Adam Leventhal hardware engineer um, for, for his various uh, hardware engineering exploits as a, as a software engineer. Um, and Adam, as I recall, uh, it was uh, the, a, a key part of Adam Leventhal hardware engineer was the running start. Um, That's right. I, I, That's right. Uh, and actually, um, it started with uh, with unbending some sheet metal. That yeah, I don't remember this, but an early design for one of the head units of the Fishworks storage product um, was such that you couldn't actually insert a PCI card without quite a running I start. I do remember this. I do uh, remember so, this. I mean, I, I definitely Doug's right. Like that sheet metal really gave gave it up quickly. Like I didn't, you know, didn't really bend the heck out of it. And, and Adam, I don't know how much time you spend um, moving the sleds in and out of the game, but it's extremely satisfying with all it of really the, is. Yeah. the the guide pins. And it doesn't matter if you take a sled, it really doesn't matter how hard you ram that thing in because you're going to be caught by this mechanism that Doug and and team designed. Doug, do you want to speak a little bit to that mechanism? I don't think we'll, we'll, we'll put a photo of it. I don't think we've got a photo in the album, but we'll create a photo of, of that mechanism. Um, do you want to just describe a little bit how you did that? Sure, I'll describe it the best I can without uh, a photograph. But the basically the gimlet, uh, the server latching system on the front um, has a, a rotating handle, and it, it, based on you know feedback from you, Brian, and, and similar experiences from Adam and the like, um, we wanted to make sure that this running start was something that we had a safeguard for in the mechanical design. So as you're pushing the server sled into the rack, the cubby, um, it actually bottoms out on a steel, a welded steel pin on the latch before the connectors, you know, less than an inch or so before the um, blind mating connectors for power and uh, the signal in the back of the gimlet are able to connect to the cable backplane in the rack. So if you get you know, the proverbial running start, you, you stop on something before the second stage of insertion uh, kind of takes place when you lift the handle, then it starts to more gently and with a um, kind of decreased mechanical travel uh, engage and dock the connectors at the rear. So again, yeah, and not completely bulletproof, but we tried to uh, remove as much of that capacity to occur as possible. Well, and I just think, I mean, as with so many aspects of the system, but Doug, this is something that you definitely got from us very quickly is, you know, we've all tried to bring our collective wisdom into the system. And obviously you and your team brought a, your, a lot of your collective wisdom. And I think it, it shows when you feel the thing. It's like, okay, someone has had the same kind of problems that I've had. Someone has had, had the person in the lab taking the running start or had to take the running start. Um, so th there's a, a lot of thought has gone into how the, these, the, the, this connection is actually made. 
And could you talk, I mean, Doug, I know that there were some of these terms that were very new to me, things like gather and the way these things actually, the connectors actually mesh. What are some of the things you've got to think about as you're designing that? Sure. So the the free end of the the connector on the cable, on the cable backplane in the rack, uh, has a um, a steel a pointed steel guide pin on it uh, and also you know used in conjunction with the uh, metal metallic blades that we've got on the floating cartridge um depending on the angle uh, of the point of this um pin and the lead in on the receptacle uh, you've got what the um connector manufacturers publish as gather i don't remember the exact number for these um XMX connectors we're using, I believe it was between two and three millimeters of gather. So that means your connector on the back can be misaligned by up to two or three millimeters, and it will still kind of find its home and align itself for the <clears throat> final kind of docking of the connector. So the connector system itself, um, the first maybe one third of engagement is purely the guide pin mounting or mating with the guide hole on the opposing uh, connector pair. And then the last, you know, half or two thirds or so is actually the guide, uh, sorry, the, the wafers and the blades uh, and the other electrical interconnect occurring. So when we designed our <clears throat> kind of floating um, interconnect system at the back, given this is blind mate, we knew fairly early we couldn't rigidly connect uh, rigidly mount uh, these cable backplane connectors to the rack to the cubbies or the again with sheet metal tolerances stacking up the potential for you know misalignment and for things to actually engage was extremely low so uh, we designed a floating system so that within the 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 actual the the cable cartridge that attaches to the back of the um, cubby floats mechanically um, I believe it's up to two millimeters to allow the system to kind of gather itself within this published gather of the connectors themselves. So uh, I guess in short, our mechanical stack of tolerances had to be below this 2.9, I believe, gather uh, millimeters of gather of the connector in order for us to ensure that we would always make contact. And the and the consequences of getting this wrong. I mean, you obviously have the the mechanical consequences in terms of uh, of things bending or breaking. But then you presumably just have the consequences of just not having a, enough contact for uh, for a good signal. Is that is what are some of the consequences of getting this wrong? Correct. So in kind of the uh, X and Y, I'll call it um, not the depth of the server. Uh, that's where the gather is impactful. So you want to make sure uh, vertically and horizontally uh, the connector is aligned such that um, you're you're catching it, you're docking it um, appropriately. And then basically the uh, as long as you're within that gather to start, uh, once things start to fully mate together, they align themselves by virtue of the alignment pins and come together in kind of that X and Y. Uh, the other dimension, I guess I'll call it Z, you know, basically the depth of the server as you're looking at it from the front. Um, that's a kind of a different metric uh, in that in that regard. 
they wanted to make sure the uh, the connector was fully mated within reason as much as possible. So if these connectors are mismated, basically not plugged all the way in, um, there is some signal loss, I believe. Um, I so the the connector uh, family that we're using has is fairly forgiving in that sense. I believe it's one or two millimeters allowed to still not have a significant signal loss. However, we wanted to make sure in the connector design, uh, the, the connector system design that we always kept this as low as possible. So I think worst case, we could have a half a millimeter um, mismate, basically not fully engaged. And then we've got a, a spring system in our connector so that when the connectors crash into each other, um, the one pair on the rack just floats backwards within the tolerance of the spring. So there's kind of some in, intentional um, collision there uh, by design, which uh, helps us ensure that we are, you know, as mated as closely as possible within that dimension. Yeah. And, you know, someone in the chat said, like, it sounds like it's docking a space capsule. And it does, I mean, it, it feels like that. You've got a lot of degrees of freedom and you need to be sure that that you've designed for all of these things to not damage one another. And then that's not good enough to, to merely not damage one another. You actually need to make this really uh, tight tolerance with respect to, to a contact. And just so people know, like, how many connectors are we talking about here? Because people may be thinking, like, I don't know, how many pins are there? Ten? It's like, no, we've got quite a few more. So it's, uh, there are three connectors per server, um, not all of which are used. Um, and each each connector has uh, four, let's say, eight wafers of four pairs, differential pairs. So I think we're looking at around a thousand pairs of I.O. somewhere in that neighborhood, all of which need to be connected uh, for the system to work, fully work. So, Holy yeah, it's, it's I, I, I had no idea the number was that high. Now, Doug, is that is that high? That seems extremely high. What I mean is like what 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 is like that seems like high for the industry, like a a, a bold direction. Is that or, or are there are there instances where there are even higher connector counts? That's a great question. I'm not aware of any, but uh, I I don't know that I have the depth of of experience there. It's pretty dense. Yeah, I mean, XMAX connectors are, you know, if you're looking for a high density blind mateable connector, like you're not gonna really get other connectors that can do that i mean you can get other connectors that are not blind mateable that all have you can, can get high density but for where we're at like yeah this, this is pretty dense it is and yeah because i think it's and i you know you look at the back of these connectors and you know it looks like a, a hive of of the connection i mean there's just a lot of, and and then doug i assume all i mean there's also the, you're going to have a lot of mechanical resistance when you go to to plug that in and so you also need a way of like getting that in, allowing someone to do it easily, be able to make that 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 connection without having to get a running start, without having to to. Uh, so th there's a, there's a lot going on here. There is so these this connector family, uh, the insertion force is fairly low. I want to uh, I don't have a number off the top of my head, but in terms of the overall percent con contribution to the gimlet uh, server docking, I think it was less than fifty percent. The you know, the mechanical friction of steel on steel is a fair contributor as well. But um, the handle has roughly a three to one mechanical advantage to kind of assist this, um, to, to make the last bit of the docking, of the two-stage docking, 
uh, a little more friendly for the user um, on on the outside end. Yeah, it, it it it's de yeah definitely and ends up being. I mean, I mean, and it's so we obviously need to not just plug and unplug these things all day because these connectors do have a limited lifetime in terms of the number of times you can plug and unplug them, which is a good thing because otherwise I might do exactly that. It's so satisfying to plug these things in and 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 unplug them. Um, and is, you know, one of the questions folks are asking is like, well, can you just use RJ45 cables? And you really can't at this speed. So it, this is all um, 100 gig. Um, and we actually wanted to be able to go, we, we wanted to actually be able to get not just 28 gig uh, NRZ, but be able to get to 56 gig PAM4 potentially on the, on the back plane. Uh, and, and maybe this is a good segue to how we actually think of that backplane and uh, Robert, do you want to maybe that uh, intro your favorite design partner in terms of of Samtech? Well, would I ever? The, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, there's a lot of well, actually, I guess there's not like too many different vendors you can go with when you're looking for different types of connectors or interconnect solutions and. Particularly when you're going with like standardized components, you, you kind of get funneled in, funneled into maybe like two or three people, really. Um, so, but there's you know another vendor that does a lot of really specialized stuff, and then a lot of bespoke, um, like specialized but general purpose industry. So like the AX Max connector, for example, is something that's shared between like Amphenol and, and Samtech. Amphenol made it, but Samtech uses it. And that's kind of special for what we're doing, but it's pretty general connector. And then they make a bunch of really special stuff that a lot of, say, you would see on FPGA boards, which have like mezzanine cards that need like 500 pins in this really dense row. And then you come across this company, Samtech, that can like let you customize all of these things in all the different ways that you want. And you just build it on their little website. And then they have this little button that says, would you want a sample? And you can click it and they'll send it to you overnight. And it's amazing. It and you is can do amazing. that for anything you want. And they'll just do it. And then you're like, how can these people afford it? And why would they be so kind to me? And then they email you and ask you, hey, I saw you did this in this little, you know, design. Do you need any help? Like, can we can we get our SI team to help you with the model that you need in order to do the breakout on your bullseye cable that you like just randomly ordered? And you might think, yeah, yeah, actually, I would like some free help. You know, I would like Isn't that help. amazing? And they, they, you know, then you find a vendor, and you're like, you give a shit? Oh, I, I want to work with you. And uh, turns out that they do care, and they will, they will send people to your manufacturing plant to help you figure stuff out on the fly. It's pretty great. And you're like, who are these people? And I've used them before, and there's so many other things that I could talk about that they just, like, totally saved my ass. But the... They're amazing. And so we, you know, after we we're having trouble with another vendor, like, you know, you, when organizations get big and you kind of have difficulties, um, then they, you know, you're not a really big customer. So you kind of have run into the problem where maybe they can't make things happen as quickly for you and they don't want to devote the time that, you know, otherwise they would. And so I asked, you know, maybe we should go with Samtech because I've had this experience in the past where they've been so extremely helpful even though we, you know you could be kind of a nobody there you know we should at least ask and uh so we did and lo and behold 
they like deployed in force to help us build this thing that they looked at and said, oh, sure, yeah, we can do that. And no one else wants to do it. And so, you know, be our pilot. Sure, we'll do everything you, that you need. And they helped us build this entire system kind of hand in hand, which was, you know, kind of incredible because, you know, we're just buying products for them, right? They, we're not, they are not an investor. They're not like, we, we do super well. It looks good for them because we use their stuff, but like they have no skin in the game, really. But it didn't matter. They they went well and beyond what they needed to do in order to make us successful. And behold, the backplane, integral well, to the yeah, product. It, totally. And it's always, you know, it, it's a, they're a very engineer-driven company, and they they really know how to make engineers happy. And, you know, they with uh, technical engagement and technical support, but then also... I mean, I think that for us, you know, and Doug, I think part of the reason our relationship with you has been so great is like we're looking for fellow engineers who want to go solve an interesting problem, solve a hard problem, solve something that's commercially relevant. And not, not everyone has that disposition. You get to some folks who are like, why are you doing it this way? It's like, no, because we think this is a better way to do it. And with with Samtech, it was, uh, it's, been a, it's been a good relationship. And so... In particular, and, and RK, you're talking about there, that when we talk about like customizing the cable, we did need a custom cable here um, because if nothing else, we need to customize the lengths. And Doug, I can't remember who coined the term squid cable. I don't know if that was, I think it might have been you coined that. I'm not sure who did, but I know that we, we all latched onto it pretty quickly because it does, if you look in the photo album, it does look like a squid. And it is uh, in part because we've got all of these different lengths because each cubby is a is a different length away. And this is the kind of thing that would be, you know, when, you, when you're racking stuff on your own, it's a real pain in the butt to get all this stuff right. But we can, because we can rack these cubbies together once, we can get all of these cables at exactly the right length. So, Doug, do you want to describe a little bit like what the squid cable is and what went into kind of the design of that? Sure. So the the squid cable, I guess the entire cable backplane is made of sixteen plus two eighteen um, of these squid cables. Sixteen plus a, just a kind of a single length for the PCIe. Um, each of these uh, squid cables individually has a um, a connection that goes to the sidecar, the network switch, and fans out to four of the uh, four smaller connectors for uh, for each gimlet each server so all in all there are like i mentioned 16 cables um in the system and each network switch sidecar needs to talk to each uh gimlet server so in kind of laying out uh the kind of the initial 3d cad concept um we tried to come up with a way to make these connections without using uh 16 unique cable SKUs part numbers so uh, one of the CAD images in, in the uh, photo album has kind of a, a, a view of the, the breakdown of, of how we split these cables apart. So uh, basically left to right are copies um, on the, from, viewed from the back uh, of the rack. And there are three kind of unique part numbers or SKUs for the uh, cable squid that we're using. So the thought was we didn't want to have too many such that if something did happen to get damaged that a you know a service personnel would need um to stack you know eight unique cables and bring them and swap them out so three three unique um cable links seemed like a an appropriate workable 
number in the mechanical design. So uh, there's kind of a short, a medium, and a long. The shortest ones from the sidecar, the network switch connector to the gimlet server connector is one meter. Uh, the medium is 1.25 meters, and the longest is 1.5 meters. So uh, they're different enough such that when you hold them side by side, you can tell that they're different. Uh, but at the same time, there's you know enough enough spread there that you could basically cable the whole rack with just three unique types. So there there are a, a couple of locations where there's a little excess length that we just kind of have to hang to the side. But I would say for the most part, um, we weren't too terribly restricted in choosing uh, basically three kind of unique part number types. Yeah, that seemed to, to have worked out really well. Um, and so as we were putting this thing together, um, and getting it together, I mean, this, I'm trying to r recall some of the, the friction that came when we actually got this thing fully cabled up. Um, but it, 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 I came together pretty well, but the, the, I know that assembly was definitely a challenge. Uh, do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. So, yeah, um. Going from, you know, the concept sketch from Arian to a, a 3D CAD model, which we did put a fair amount of thought into to try to get a reasonable approximation of what we wanted the lengths of these cables to be for prototype purposes. Again, so that we didn't uh, have certainly have a cable too short um, for, for our first spins, given, you know, our kind of desire for minimal churn. Uh, and then from the, the 3D CAD model to physically integrating it into the uh, prototype assembly, uh, there was a lot of learning opportunity there. So, uh, you know, everything looks neat and collected in the 3D CAD model. Obviously, we understand <laughs> that's not always going to be the case or never right. going to be the case. There is a uh, an image in the chat that's kind of, I think I named it spaghetti, that's got basically um, the pre-build of the cable backplane integration into the rack where there's just all these cables coming off and you know to try to discern one from the other was fairly difficult so that was part of the challenge in um, evaluating our early and our next stage prototypes was how to best route these such that they can be repeatedly placed in a consistent manner without damaging them so um, again, with kind of the rat's nest, as we put this together for the first time, uh, there were definitely a lot of, um, uh, points of feedback where we, we realized we could do certain things better, both in how the cables are bundled and how they are routed and, um, assembled that led to future design iterations that, uh, that are forthcoming here. And so in terms of the damage, what kind of damage are you concerned about with, I mean, it's not, on the one hand, it's not fiber optics, so you're not worried about the cables snapping, but on the other hand, like bend radius is an issue and you've got, and what, what, are, what are some of the, the, the kind of the points of damage you're concerned about? Yeah. So, so bend radius is, is actually fairly forgiving on this cable type, um, with, within reason. So, uh, these are uh, twin axial differential pair cables. So they, it's, you know, Samtech says there's a good bend in a bad bend. Basically, if you, Bend the cable such that both of the wires inside of the both of the pair wires of the pair uh, bend the same. It's 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 a good bend, and if you're bending them kind of against each themselves, that's a bad bend. So hmm. uh, we we made sure as much as possible in the mechanical design that we were routing these cables with good bends. Now that wasn't 
completely possible without a few twists and turns. But uh, to the best of our ability, we routed these cables in the design with the best bends we could. Um, so, it, you know, the minimum bed radius on the bundle wasn't terrible. Um, individually, where these uh, cables, these twin axial uh, cables exit the connector, um, in between where the connector ends and the kind of bulk jacket, the black jacket starts, there has to be a gap basically where just this Teflon coated blue wire is exposed. And this Teflon coating is very thin and easy to mar. So early on in the mechanical design, we had a few um, metal on Teflon uh, contact points in the design that we had to eliminate and replace with plastic in the DVT build designs. And uh, uh, that, that drove a few design changes. And then uh, more recently, we've, uh, with the crew out, um, I don't know, a month or so ago, we found some better ways to better kind of bundle and collect uh, these individual cables so that there was less opportunity for this this rat's nest, this spaghetti that, we're, that we see in some of these images where uh, four cables from one squid just totally commingle with four cables from another squid. So better bundling techniques, more kind of defined assembly methods. And all of this kind of leads to reduced potential for damage at manufacturing production. And uh, I, certainly I believe um, the more consistent and repeatable the location these cables are to each other, the more consistent and repeatable our uh, electrical performance with regard to EMC should be as well. Totally. It's all right. So, and I want to I want to actually go into this that this issue that you all resolved recently because it was, uh, you know, we we've had a couple of issues that have been harrowing. Um, and you know, one of them certainly was in these early DVT racks, and in fact, the rack that was and okay, you're gonna have to remind me because I, in my recollection was this is the the it was the rack that was going to go to compliance, and we were seeing pretty disconcertingly high failure of the and these cables wouldn't didn't seem to fail transiently it seems that they were by the time we because you know we're kind of we're very much kind of putting this system together we're you know we're building the system as we're in our dvt builds and mm, so yeah. a, a bunch of the validation that ultimately that is going to be done or is being done uh, there in minnesota doug was being done uh in in out here in emeryville so this thing had already been kind of shipped out and we had discovered Okay, I'm trying to read, you and Arian had discovered that basically that a, a, a whole subset of cables needed to be swapped out, and um, as I recall, that was a a late night brain transplant right before compliance. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, that was not cool, um, but <laughs> but we did it because you gotta. But you know, you're gonna go to EMC. You want all your sleds to turn on. The uh, or we'll have it or have network or be able to have everything. I mean, this is the nervous system of the whole rack. Like, you lose a cable going somewhere, and you've you've lost those sleds. It, like, and you don't really know why because at the time we didn't have the infrastructure to like test these fibers uh, on their own. But so what we had to do is you know you identify which sleds don't you know come up, and we can on sidecar you know we can actually we can get pretty detailed on you know what pairs are not working and so that's helpful in that you know and, and if you're when you're running at 100g um it's actually kind of difficult to tell you know exactly why it's not working 
because um, it doesn't necessarily mean there's no continuity. It you know you could have like poor you could have degradation in the cable due to like the fact that you're bending it up a bunch, and that would obviously cause a really high speed link just to fail. Um, so you don't know like you could you could you know do a continu- continuity test and it would be fine, but that actually doesn't tell you why it's you know if, if it's broken or not or which cable it is. So you have to go into the sidecar and have it probe you know which diff pairs are failing. And then from that, we had to map that back out to our handy like cable or pair map that Samtech did, which is like this three-page Excel spreadsheet of like how do you get to a from a single diff pair through to where it goes onto what cable and then to what sled to it maps all the way through. Which is again, they didn't have to help us through all that, but I know Aryan and Jonathan sat there, I think, for quite some time and got that all figured out, which is, you know, bless them. And uh, so we, we did that. We figured out which, you know, squids had to come out. So we had to cut the entire backplane out because at the time you couldn't just pull one bundle out um, all at once. You It was all kind of wrapped together. And you can see in some of the pictures where it, it looks like this, weird nest of stuff that just kind of like goes into the center and splits out into a bunch of different directions. And that's the old way it was. And that in, in its disorganization, that's kind of where these problems arise. Um, but you know, you see these zip ties that are like cut, holding us all together. You have to cut everything out. You, so you take the whole thing apart just to replace one piece, uh, which not cool, but so we did that. <laughs> well, so, uh, and, uh, there, was, there was this moment where, so uh, we were here in the office together. It was you, Aryan, and me, and you and Aryan now know exactly what needs to be replaced. But we are running out of racks to actually, like, we don't actually have oh, yeah. the necessary cabling. And then someone is like, wait a minute, we have what we've been calling the showcase rack, which, Doug, this is one of the early, early racks that you all put together that it uh, has a cabled backplane but uh, not necessarily much else. So we, um, and we realized that we actually have the cabling from that showcase rack. And uh, I, as I recall, I mean, the, I think you, that's where you ended up getting some of the cabling from, right? For compliance? Yeah. So, you know, we kind of identified that, like, well, this is the same gauge and it has all of its cables and we haven't done anything to it. So they should all be okay, you know, assuming we didn't break it the same way we did the other one. Like, well, it's only one way to find out. So under the knife. Yeah, it got you know, got the multi tool out and sat down on the bottom of the rack. I think at that point it was like eleven or something PM and Ari and I were like, Well, I guess it's beer time. And then <laughs> just start cutting the thing up. We're like, Okay, pulling the cables <laughs> out, go to the other rack, like cut that whole thing down because you know, you gotta do it twice over. And uh, while we're at it, we might as well organize the back of that one so that we can shut the doors and it'll all, you know, look good. And hopefully that'll, I mean, it would help with how things radiate. The uh, So we cut all that up too, pulled the old ones that we knew were damaged out, put the new ones back in, rewired, like zip tied the whole thing, you know, fired it up and, and thank it God. Worked. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to do that twice. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, this is the, the and you know, because this is always this challenge of like you're trying to do everything all at once, and uh, it's hard when you. It, it, I, I'm sure you were very relieved. I mean, because it feels like it could have been just as plausible to be like, and now nothing works. But uh, it was, <laughs> um, we were able to get. So that was the rack that needed to go to compliance, and this is you know several months ago we talked about all that when we regaled from compliance. But so we. 
but we had this issue of why did we have this high dropout rate? And RK, that's what you went back to Minnesota to work with Doug and Jonathan from Samtech. And Doug, I gathered some member of your, members of your team as well. With what can we, because our hunch, and Doug, I think it was your hunch as well, is like, okay, this is something that we're doing as we are assembling this is, is resulting in some damage. Was that the hypothesis going in? Yeah, I believe so. So the, you know, like I mentioned, the, the design itself, um, I, I, I didn't believe had any, um, issues that were nominally causing, um, these, these problems that we were seeing, but in the integration, the assembly, there were plenty of other opportunities to, uh, damage these connectors, these cables, um, which, which believe, we believe was the, uh, source of the issue here. And it's tough to root cause that kind of stuff too, because if you're going totally. through assembly and you have different, if you have different people trying to do different, like install different components, you get into the realm of the random, you know. So it's handling is such a strange way to like you. Have, in order to like narrow that down, it gets pretty difficult unless you have a very specific install process. And on these, not really at the time. Well, yeah, and, and when you're when you're. When you're building something like this, you're not just designing the thing. You're also designing the way you build the thing. I mean, it's like very much part of the development process is how you manufacture it, how you assemble it. And I mean, it's this is uh, there's a lot that needs to be kind of debugged and understood here, trying to understand where these things are, are coming from. So, it, Doug, it seems like the, the kind of the first order of business, at least from my perspective, the first order of business was understanding how are these things damaged? And uh, Samtech was able to turn around pretty quickly and tell us what exactly happened. Yeah, so I believe they were able to look at our, our assembly process and kind of uh, determine where the issues were coming from. So um, stepping back just a little bit, the showcase rack, um, I, I physically built the cable backplane on. I had every intent of building the cable backplane on these other two design uh, these other two racks as well and became ill so somebody else had to do it at the 11th hour so we were able to kind of get some operator variability which is absolutely a part of every manufacturing process totally to yeah i think it's a positive yeah, yeah exactly to, to expose these issues which uh thankfully were able to be corrected but um uh, if there's one thing to gain from it, it's that. So the, yeah, so we basically walked through with Samtech on site, the assembly procedure uh, that we had. And uh, I guess it was determined there were a couple of kind of key points within the assembly that needed some attention. So nearest the connectors on the sidecar, the network switches, um, there was a fairly tight bend where the, uh, far, sorry, rather a, a, a tight gathering um, of these jacketless kind of the exposed Teflon coated differential pairs uh, where there was some marring happening. So that that's kind of an action for uh, future consideration, both in the design and the assembly procedure to um, ensure that doesn't happen. And kind of taking a, a step further here, and it was, it was both due to kind of Samtech's um, uh, assessment and, and RFK's kind of uh, mention of the pain of replacing these that that we determined that there were some different different uh, bundling um, configurations that we could put forth that would better keep like cables together, keep them from kind of going astray, um, hmm. getting potentially damaged elsewhere. And uh, 
um, kind of staying together as as a kind of a, a cohesive bundle. So there was a lower potential of damage. And so then can you tell me about the, the this thing that you 3D printed on site to help you assemble this? I'd, I'd love to understand that. We've got a the, the slide that's got kind of that, that green, uh, the, the green jig at the bottom. Could you describe that, Doug? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things there. So um, we we tried to kind of quick turn 3D print in-house as many manufacturing aids or tools or fixtures as we could, um, both to kind of assist in keeping operators hands-free and for uh, kind of um, error-proofing uh, the potential for the, uh, in the assembly. So these, these cables... Um, are, are keyed there with small plastic tabs that should prevent you from putting them in upside down, but they're not very pronounced. So if, you know, if you're not careful, you can put these um, connectors in upside down into this cartridge. And I've done it myself a couple of times. Uh, luckily, oh, yeah. we're only early on prototypes. The failure is catastrophic. The guide pin of the um, the cable completely destroys the connector on the server sled. Uh, the the uh, oh. wafers on the server sled. So that's one we found out early we want to prevent. So um, <laughs> that, that's, uh, that was one where, again, it was, it, we found it out on some, just some rigid copper clad boards that were for purely mechanical purposes, non-functional, but it, it's oh, well, it's just a steel spike effective, like, like hammering a nail into the sensitive connector. Is that effectively what happens? That's effectively that that's exactly <laughs> what happens. Yes. <laughs> that was a bit of an eye opener. I was like, okay. yeah, you pull that out. You're like, ah, I think I know okay. what happened here. Yeah. Well, if you're ever in the office, just like go, go to the back of one of the gimlets that we're not using anymore. And you can just like press in the, the the tiny like they're like feathered they're feathers of gold little tabs that they you know contact with each other you can just touch them and be like oh those are like quite light and easy to move and then just jam a screwdriver into the back of it and, <laughs> that's right you know think think about you know yeah that, that so that was very high consequence interesting yeah that three to one mechanical advantage on the lever is is handy for <laughs> for for correctness but it, right. you almost don't even notice that you destroyed the thing when, when it's incorrect so yeah right so okay so you definitely a, want to avoid that problem yeah right that's, so, that's a good one yeah. so as many fixtures as we can come up with to prevent um incorrect assembly we we tried to implement for for our build here and again uh to arrange things on a bench in a kind of consistent and repeatable method so that the end isn't hanging off of a table or anything else that could put undue stress on these connector systems. Uh, we, you know, we, we try to implement as much as possible here. So again, these are kind of early prototypey um, fixtures and nests, but um, they'll kind of feed into more long-term production type uh, procedures and tooling. Well, and I, and I love the use too of, of 3d printing. Cause and Doug, this is something that you, that you did a, a lot. I mean, there are a bunch of things that you were 3d printing in house for us um, to about the air shroud around the, uh, the M.2 connectors that you all designed. I mean, it, this, and I'm sure actually a bunch of stuff I'm unaware of, but um, this is something that is a, a, a tool that has clearly been, I, um, I imagine transformative from a, a mechanical engineer's arsenal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, to be able to 
come up with a concept and turn it around and have it the next day is huge. I mean, we, we had our 3d printers running almost constantly, um, to try to, you know, iterate and learn from each one. So this particular green fixture that we used for, uh, the assembly here, Brandon, one of my, uh, uh, counterparts here designed that and you know it's one of those things where we designed it in like how it was and we had a new one designed and printed the next day so it's it's just yeah game changing for um turnaround time and and kind of uh cycling of of these types of designs so the, uh, in the you know the end product there's you know a few pieces that are 3d printed um, you know, it certainly has its place in, in the, the product design, but in terms of early prototypes, uh, prototype evaluation, tooling nests, uh, that sort of thing where normally we would have to machine that out of a piece of Dellerin or something similar, uh, we can learn a lot, uh, from these 3d printed pieces. And I know the Axide team embraces that as well. You've got a few of your members there that have their own printers that make their own tooling as well. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's widespread. It's. We use it well, well to our advantage. Yeah, and I just think it's like it's you know one of the things that we've definitely said before here is that you know people like to dismiss hardware as hard. Hardware is hard, but it's also easier than it ever has been. And this ability to take these kind of quick turns from ideation to something in physically in hand that you can iterate on, and then especially for some, a fixture like this, that's like this is like a, a fixture that you're using to assemble the product. So you know this is something that. The, the, the quantities are low enough. I mean, this is presumably something, I mean, presumably not going to 3D print it over to the, what we're going to use on the line, but you could. I mean, it would be um, certainly uh, great to be able to spend quickly on this. And then, so, because you had Samtech on site, with Jonathan was on site, and RFK, you were there, and this was, um, it sounds like it was really helpful, I gather, to have everyone kind of there at once physically doing this together because. Uh, yielded what sounds like a, a, a much cleaner assembly. Yeah. Uh, well, it was really good to have everybody kind of see the same problem in real time, you know, and, and particularly Jonathan initially describing kind of like, oh, these are the, the this is the kind of behavior and bending that we don't want to see. And uh, then what, what is also acceptable and then kind of how the fibers float inside the Teflon um, along with the dielectric. So he was, it was clarifying in that he identified a particular type of bend that we, we are doing or were doing, uh, pretty explicitly as it routes outside, out of the sidecar. So like the center of those photos, you'll see the largest connector where it kind of funnels out into the center and then goes up or down. Um, that's a, a 90 degree bend with a twist and then a 90 degree bend. And what that'll do is that'll cause like an uneven push and pull on the connector side in that little cartridge. And so it's like, that's a bin that you don't want or versus like you can have like the cables, if they were allowed to float, they could kind of bend together uh, in such a way that they wouldn't be pushing and pulling against each other. And so, you know, that that's an okay thing to do. And when we got in there, we kind of looked at how these things were taped up and, you know, how there was a lot of math added by this uh, sheathing that has, it's, it's the black sheathing that goes around these cables. Um, you kind of see how they pulled. And like, if you remove the tape and then added the sheathing a particular distance, depending on the size of the cable, in order to decrease the mass, how you are able to 
you know, bend these things more safely and allow them to float in such a way that they don't, uh, they're not affixed at one end when you try to bend it, which the when it's affixed to that tape that you'll see like at the tips of the cables, they, it's all bonded together. We got rid of that. Um, you create a, and I don't, I'm not a mechanical engineer. There is a, there is a word for this, the point where it can no longer move and the rest of it moves and it causes uneven forces on inside and outside strands. I don't know, but there's something for that. Anyway, uh, we were able to see that problem and run an experiment. We're like, well, let's cut some sh um, this sheathing of the lengths that we want, remove the tape and allow and see how much mass we can cut down. And, um, after we all kind of got together and, you know, did the process of painstakingly removing all that tape. I mean, Oh my God, my fingers. But, uh, yeah, then we got to the one of the pictures where you'll see it's just these kind of four tubes that come out instead of this nest, and they funnel very neatly um, up and down the sides of the rack. And you, I mean, there's a serious decrease in the amount of mass that we have to deal with, and it makes the assembly and install way easier. There's only right. like three or four different uh, cables, I think, total, and I mean. I mean, it's just visible. You can, you can look at it. It's so clear how much better that is. And the install is going to be repeatable. And you can do it in under two hours versus it took us probably like three to do one in the office. Right. And, and you presumably don't need to be Doug to do it. Right. Doug, you can, you can have other people do it. And so you don't That's have to right. do it yourself. Right. I know. No, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to put a, not throwing my hat into the ring or Adam's no offense, Adam. I just feel like actually, no, Adam, you're, you're much more reliable mechanical than I am. Than I, <laughs> I, I just, I, we're, we're, we're not, you're right. It, not, you're not, the, uh, I probably take some shortcut. It's fair. Not quite at that point, but it's, it is really important to get that. And it, and this, it, this cable backplane, because you know, someone had asked, it's like, well, you know, what do you do when this kind of you know wears out, or you know, how does this fail in the field? This is really designed to not fail. This is actually designed to be like the, the lifetime of the rack. So we want to be sure that any failure that we that that we might have in assembly that we find on site that this is not by the time this leaves, we've got something that is going to be really, really, really robust. It's not impossible to replace. It's just. And RFK, you you all made it. If one needed to do a field replacement, it would now be potentially possible. But this is not a field replaceable unit. This is really designed to be uh, to to go the lifetime of the rack. So it, it's really important that this thing is actually designed for the the long haul. And this is something that is a, a really wanted to invest to get exactly right. We got a that final image there shows the the, the rack after. You all had recabled it, and uh, it looks it looks glorious. And, and so, yeah. so Doug, this must have been um, I, I mean satisfying to get that uh, to get all of this kind of root caused and and figured out. I know um, from RFK's perspective, it was just glorious to get this this all this nailed and to kind of pull together folks from your team and folks from Samtech and their team and and, and work together to get this thing debugged. Yeah, absolutely. To have so many different you know, parties and perspectives from our design engineering group, our manufacturing group, oxide service representation, and uh, the cable manufacturer uh, was great. I mean, we we really, I think, 
hit this on all fronts and and the result moving forward should be a much more kind of consistent and repeatable uh product integration of this cable backplane that is absolutely awesome um and I think it you know just highlights that when you're doing something like this, uh, and something I know we have really emphasized is finding folks that are, that want to build this with us who really share our perspective. And Doug, you and your team at Benchmark certainly do, and the folks at Samtech certainly do. And it's been uh, you, you really see the results here when because when something doesn't you know when, when something needs to be kind of figured out, you really need everyone together to to figure it out as as a group and. Um, this is just a lot of fun to see, uh, and on and and just could not be on something more important in terms of this cable backplane because this thing again we we live or die on this thing as do our customers. So, well, this has been this has been great. I know that um, it, it should be said that you know uh, Adam is from Connecticut, and um, right. you've uh, you know normally we think of Connecticut as being merely New York or Boston, depending on which part of Connecticut you're referring to. But actually. Right. Tonight, Adam, Connecticut stands on its own two feet as your Huskies are in the NCAA finals for basketball. Um, yes. I, I hope you put a lot of money on them being in the finals. <laughs> I didn't, uh, but usually I end, it ends in heartbreak because I always pick them to win you know, every tournament, and uh, it only happens occasionally, but it does happen occasionally. So, yeah, you know, I actually up. went with my... Um, my my sister puts together a larger bracket with with the extended family. So of course the stakes are extremely high because I actually need to make sure that I beat my sister or or if failing that that one of my children does. I really just we just can't have my sister winning a broader family pool. Not that I'm competitive at all. And I have done I did my all oxide bracket with uh <laughs> with, I I took the schools that I and I this is kind of what I've done every year. Uh, the I, I let's just say that there's a Texas Tech alum among us that uh, I think Texas Tech didn't even make the tournament this year, RFK, or I would have, but um, that's okay. It, well, Texas Tech did not have the opportunity to disappoint me the way uh, we uh, we have many Purdue alums here at, at Oxide, and you know, not to add insult to injury, but let's just say go, go Huskies is what I'm really trying to say here. Right where, on, where, go Huskies. Uh, we digress. So, Huskies I, is good. You, Right. I, and, and the, uh, by the way, that family pool is being won by my, um, my brother-in-law's nephew. Uh, the six-year-old has picked UConn to win. <laughs> so the, the six-year-old is going to walk away with it. I don't know if this is some like March Madness child prodigy. I'm not sure what's going on. But, <laughs> or if it's like the octopus that was picking the World Cup winners. Either one. <laughs> I think it may be the, the World Cup winning Peggy Octopus. Yeah, I, I'm going with the octopus theory. Or I like dogs is the other theory that I was going with. I mean, you know. <laughs> That's right. A lot of dog mascots. Yeah. A, a lot of dog mascots, and I'm I'm going with that one. Um, but regardless, we want to make sure that you get to your the Huskies in the finals here. Um, but uh, Doug, uh, RFK, thank you so much. This has just been so much fun to to, to watch. Doug, it's been so great to work with with you and team and again i hope po folks get the chance to to feel this thing um and if, if when you make physical contact with an oxide rack and you're thinking to yourself that boy someone really thought about the mechanical design here it is doug it is you and your team really did that and uh thank you so much uh, i hope you're you're proud of what you built here because it's 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 really fun to watch it all come together oh absolutely it's been great yeah, it's been a pleasure working with the, your team. Awesome. 
All right. Well, uh, I think in, w- w- if, if you don't mind, we may have to have you back on a couple of other mechanical topics because we got a lot, there are a lot of mechanical bits in the, in, in the rack here, and there's a lot that, that in your team. Well, at some point, we'll have to talk about the, uh, the, um, the the moment arm crisis. I don't know, Adam, if you guys <laughs> like. The- you know what? I, this is another one where I've heard mention of the moment arm crisis, but just like uh, some of these cabling issues. I had to wait for the episode to find out all the details. Exactly. Well, we could do an entire episode on the sidecar heatsink. Uh, that thing, that the monstrous sidecar heatsink. Oh lord! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that that will wait till after the, the the Huskies win the national championship. So, on that, thank you very much, everyone, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Doug. Pleasure's all mine. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. Thanks, Go Huskies.